anyone want to venture a guess as to what Jack is going to be showing us out in the middle of nowhere? I don't know. Stuff. Probably secret stuff. Why does everything have to be such a secret? How about some openness for a change? We kept the parachute lady secret. Ah, that's different. Different how? Well, because we weren't out there playing football with them. Welcome to Tessa Watches Lost, Monkey Off My Backlog's second weekly podcast where one of us reacts to a TV show that the other has forced us to watch. I'm your host, Sam, and with me is Tessa, the Alex to my Carl. Okay, I'll take that one. It's romantic. Uh, Yeah, I'll take it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. This week, we're talking about the season three episodes, The Brig, The Man Behind the Curtain, and Greatest Hits. We are not talking about Through the Looking Glass, the season three finale this week. However, Tessa has seen it. She has had her heart ripped out of her chest. So... There may be spoilers today, we're not going to talk about it specifically, but it probably, I know it will be referenced at least once. So if you haven't seen the episode yet, you might want to hit pause on this. If you've seen the whole thing before, play on. Let's start with your comment that things really started to speed up in these episodes. Is this a good thing? Yes, from the perspective of watching these three episodes. From the perspective of someone who had to sit through a couple of filler episodes that I didn't really enjoy very much. It's a little disappointing. This kind of feels like suddenly halfway through season three, they were like, oh, now we know where we're going. And I kind of wish they had gotten there sooner in season three or maybe done less episodes in season three if they knew that this is where they were going to go the whole time. Because, yeah, it just felt like they were stretching out the middle of the season and then suddenly everything happens in these last handful of episodes. Right. And so this is where I want to reference the last episode. So it won't be spoiling anything to say that Team Darleton was really running out of ideas, especially about how to keep the flashbacks going at the end of this season. Mm -hmm. Of course, they knew that they were going to have an opportunity to play with something else, which we'll talk about next time. Let's talk about the flashbacks first. The first one, we have a flashback to what Locke's been up to since he ditched the main mission. So we have like a flashback that is just of a few days. Ben tells John that he must make a gesture of commitment. Did you hear the air quotes? To be accepted by the island. The gesture, of course, is to kill Anthony Cooper. Right, because it's revealed that the person, the man from Tallahassee, the person in the hatch. The man from Tallahassee? The man from Tallahassee, the person in the hatch, is in fact his father. We still don't know how he got there. Well, Jacob did it. Sure. Okay. Ben is giving me his best cult leader in this episode. Doesn't that flashback episode where Locke was in a cult make so much more sense now? Yeah. Especially like that he, he does the cult leader thing where when Locke says, okay, you need to tell me about the island. Like, I'm ready. Let's have this conversation. And Ben is like, well, I can't tell you yet. You're not ready. Classic cult leader. I can't show you the thing because that would undermine my authority. Yeah, I have to, I have to shield le- it. You're not at level 12. You haven't paid the yeah. hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. And yeah. you can see Locke seeing through it. Locke is right. not fooled by Ben in the least. We're going to talk about this later, but he he's not fooled by him. You can see it on his face. He understands what Ben is doing. We also get the first taste of the idea that Ben is jealous of Locke, 
Locke clearly represents something to Ben's people that we haven't really been let in on yet, but we get, we basically get one of Ben's underlings helping Locke out, but Ben seems pretty clear on sabotaging Locke. He knows that Locke won't kill his father in cold blood, and so he sets him up to be embarrassed in front of his followers. So this is the first that we really get of this friction between Locke and Ben, which I'm enjoying the hell out of. Like, I, I've said in previous episodes that I don't like either of these characters, but I think they are extremely good characters. And both of these actors are just, they're just eating up the scenes between them. It, it's really fantastic work. I'm glad you feel this way. I mean, having the benefit of knowing where we end up, I this is actually much more interesting to me this time than it was the first time. And, and I think that your views on it really help flesh that out. You know, so... Uh, Jarlton is not completely, they are not completely incompetent, it turns out. So thank you for helping me see that. Well, especially when you have actors like Terry Quinn. Right. I, yeah. If it's one thing we can give them credit for, for the most part, it's using these actors to do some really cool things. I think he might be doing the best actual acting work on the show. Like, that's not a knock on anybody. Right, you said that last week. Yeah, I think so. a lot of people are doing great jobs, but I think right now in this season, at the end of the season, he is doing some of the best work I've seen on the show. Well, he's still going to have plenty to do in the next three seasons. So as you said, Locke has been tasked with taking care of the man from Tallahassee, but he doesn't want to do it. But he has been given the tools, as you mentioned, yes, to get some help. So John goes back to the beach to grab James Inigo Montoya Sawyer, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, th yeah. this is the, he is the six-fingered man, yeah, we're the man finally from Tallahassee. Getting, yeah, we're finally Tom getting... Tom Sawyer. We are finally getting closure on this particular storyline that they've been building up since season one. Like, the very first Sawyer flashback was about right. this. Yeah. And we knew that Block's father was the six-fingered man, the man from Tallahassee. I think... Pretty early on in season two, we knew that he was the same person. And so to finally get closure on this was interesting. Tessa, why Tom Sawyer? Because Huckleberry Finn was taken. Yeah, I was actually, all of his names, his his aliases are very interesting. But the Tom Sawyer thing, even though it's obviously the setup of a joke, it, it feeds into this literary reference naming thing that we have going on in all of these characters, right? And the idea of Tom Sawyer, if you read Tom Sawyer and you think about the adult that Tom Sawyer would have grown into, he probably would have been a con man. He would have not been a good person. And that actually, I think, really fits well, this character. I mean, that's the story of the the picket fence, right? right? You know, he has to whitewash the fence and he, we can use Tom Sawyer as a verb. I, I do. You've heard me do it. Right. And he doesn't mind exploiting Huck Finn, who is a different class, different family situation from him. He doesn't mind exploiting the other people around him. I think that that, more than anything else, the name Tom Sawyer tells me about this character. Like, who he is, where he comes from, what his attitude towards other people is. So that was actually fairly interesting, and that actually transmits a lot of meaning onto Sawyer taking that name as well. And I want to keep going with this thread, but much like the episode, we need to take a quick detour into Rousseau land. I always love Rousseau land. Who just shows up and they just look at her and oh she looks God. at them and takes the dynamite. We know what that's for now. Right. 
But at the time, not knowing what it was for, it was that might be one of the funniest moments. This that's is not what Hurley. You, this is what you said about Nikki and Paolo. No, this is what you said about the pod. Yes. About the woman, uh, one of the others dying. Right. And if we, we didn't know. Yeah, because we don't see Jack. We, we find out later that Jack has asked her to go get the dynamite so that way they can plan an ambush for the others. We'll talk about that later. But we don't know that in this episode. And it is the funniest thing to see her come into the ship where Locke is holding his father and hearing she can hear Sawyer and Locke's father like screaming through the door. And she's just like, Locke. And he's like, Rousseau. And she just takes the dynamite and leaves. It is one of the funniest bits of character work. Rousseau. Okay. Rousseau might be my second favorite character on this show. Rousseau is Tessa's second favorite character. After Hurley. I keep telling Tessa, and for all of you, feel free to speculate, but don't do it where Tessa can see it. We have not met one of my three favorite characters yet. I know there's more characters. Right, but I don't want anybody to say... To As take, of right now. I don't want anybody to start guessing. I understand. Because I don't want you to know who shows up. I understand. Because if you know who, you will immediately know which one's my favorite. I see. Okay. So, so I mean, the, the way this ends is pretty predictable. You know, Sawyer is a very complicated character. We've seen the complexity. We know, you know, this guy seemed very one note to us and to the people on the island. He's grown. A Kate, lot. Kate is clearly in love with him, even though she's having a little difficulty dealing with it. I think it's especially heartbreaking because we know what's going to happen. And it does. Sawyer does the thing because he has to. And he's the kind of tragic character in a way who understands the consequences. He knows the stakes. He knows what's going to happen, but he does it because he feels like it's what he had to do in the moment. So he kills Cooper, which is definitely not going to affect his character arc in any way whatsoever. Right. Right. I, I think that this is actually also good acting in this moment too, because you can really see Sawyer who's been, like you said, he's been doing so much work to become a good person or at least a better person on the island, much like Kate has as well, right? This idea of like doing work to become better in this place where we can become better. We see him do all that work. Tessa, did they find love in a hopeless place? Oh my God, I'm moving on. We see him do all this work, but especially in that moment. The diamonds are in Nikki and Paolo's grave, not in this guy. I'm done. I'm done. That's it. I don't have anything else for that one. I will turn your mic off. He's done all this work, and it's just this moment where you can see him when he finds out that He's finally confronting the man who he sees as responsible for his parents' deaths. And you can see him revert back to that child because he immediately pulls out the letter. He tries to get him to read it. Like, that's that, that letter was written so long ago by a child. And you can see that he... It's like he know, like you said, he knows the consequences of what he's doing, but he's reverting to an old pattern because that trauma has been with him for so long that he's no longer thinking in the ways that we've seen him think all season. He's reverted back to the person who accidentally kills someone in season Revertigo. one. Revertigo. Yeah, that's that's really what I got from this scene, and it's really tragic. And honestly, I kind of hated Locke in this episode even more because he uses Sawyer. And he knows that it's going to rip up Sawyer because he can't do his own dirty work. He can't kill his father and he can't stand up to Ben. Yeah. 
And we don't really see the full consequences of this in these next couple of episodes or the season finale, but we will see a lot more of Sawyer, obviously. Right. This is a flashback of a few days. So next we have a flashback of how Ben became tied to the island. He said he was born on the island. We discovered that this is not entirely true. But over a series of flashbacks, we learn a little bit more about Ben. The first thing we learn is that Ben's dad is Roger Workman himself. (laughs) And he may, in fact, hate his own son for killing his mom. Who's played by Elsbeth from The Good Wife. Classic stuff. Classic stuff. I hate you because you killed your mom. Mary Shelley hated herself all by herself. This is this is not that. This is slightly different. This is dad blaming child for the death of, you know, wife slash mom. So kind of sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, I like that we go from like the sh- one of the shortest flashbacks, like shortest period of time. Like the log flashback is only eight days prior to the actual in time of the episode to one of the longest flashbacks. Like we flash all the way back at the beginning to the 1970s. And then we see different parts of Ben's life leading up to the end of the episode. But yeah, he, I I like that. It's, it's like such typical cult speak. It's like, I was born on the Island. I was metaphorically born on the Island, (laughs) but no, did y'all hear that eye roll? Did you hear it? (laughs) But no, actually I was born in the woods off of a highway. Not in Portland. And I killed in Portland, not in Portland. And I killed my mom. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, this is really classic, unfortunate reasons for child abuse is somebody loses a partner in childbirth and they blame the kid, even though it's not the kid's fault. Now, yeah, and of course, as he's growing up, he meets the the best friend who helps him reach his potential. Annie repeatedly asks, are you okay? Which I think is how Ben becomes a smooth criminal. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me back up. So this through this flashback, we find out that the Dharma Initiative is one group on the island, and they have built the fence to keep out wildlife, which is, I, I mean, it's the smoke monster, right? Mm-hmm. But also this group of other people who are living on the island called the Hostiles. So in this episode, we get Annie and the Hostiles, which I think is a really cool band name. <laughs> She's a plant. She helps Ben get out and, and meet the Hostiles. And surprise, surprise, who is a Hostile? Who was not part of the Dharma Initiative, but... Richard Alpert. What about this twist? So I really liked this episode because it finally clears up the distinction between the Dharma Initiative and the others. Because all this time, we really weren't sure if the others were the Dharma Initiative, if they were an offshoot of the Dharma Initiative, like what was going on. Even though we don't know how the hostiles came to the island or what their deal is. We do know that they were originally a separate entity from the Dharma initiative. The Dharma initiative was as it first appeared when it was introduced in season two as one of those like 1970s style pseudo scientific pseudo 
pseudo-mystic ESP training super soldiers doing scientific experiments that straddle the lines between new age and and real hard science, that kind of thing. I mean, you even get the dude who's like the head of the Dharma Initiative who's like talking about like, oh, he'll talk when he wants to and like, you know, like all that kind of thing. So I enjoyed that. It would have been really weird to grow up in such a place. I have to say that. Like, we don't get a lot of, like, Ben's day-to-day life besides, like, him being in the school. But weird childhood. Yep. And so with Ben's help, the hostiles killed the Dharma Initiative. They just, whole thing, dude, to quote Hurley. Yeah, this was, this was shocking. I mean, it makes sense because the others now inhabit the station where the Dharma Initiative was so yeah that that made sense to me but yeah it is really shocking to know that ben like ben as a child made contact with the hostels and had this whole relationship with them until he grew up because he desperately wanted to get away from his father who drunk a lot was drunk a lot and kept blaming him for his mother's death understandable and so he helps them do a hostile takeover of dharma And we also get to see the death of Roger Workman. Roger Workman. We hardly knew him. That really gives us some some context. We have to do some inferring that, you know, Ben eventually became leader of, you know, the hostels. Richard Alpert was pretty high up in the organization, but Ben has surpassed him. Well, I think he had by the time they took over the camp because he was looking to Ben for instruction. The other thing that this episode does is establish why that is the case. This is where we get to talk about some island lore. Jacob, just yes or no, and then we'll get into the details. Is Jacob real? Oh, I don't know. Yes or no? Yes, but not the way Ben thinks that he is. Tessa's super good at yes or no answers. Andy knows this from trying to pressure her into doing it, but I, I can't do rare, it either. I rarely see the no. world in simple yes or no answers. Oh, you! Oh my God, you'd be perfect for this island. Anyway, Jacob is real, but you can't meet him. He is so real. Let's go meet him. He's my friend. That's right. Yeah, that's actually so. At first, this is definitely not a Norman Bates situation. So yeah, at, definitely not. At first, I definitely thought this was a Norman Bates situation. I was still convinced of that after this episode upon first viewing. Like, I did not think he was real. I'm not unconvinced, except for Locke heard the "help me" part of the thing. Well, sure, so, he he heard it. Yeah. So the question is, did Ben do some kind of ventriloquism, or did Locke actually hear something? Locke seems pretty convinced that he heard something. Here's why I have the whole, is Jacob real, but not like Ben thinks that he is. I think Jacob is a Norman Bates situation. However, I think the island wants Ben gone. I think that's why it asked Locke for help. So you think that, I mean, what we're supposed to get from this episode is that Ben is a conduit for the island. Yes. And so you're saying that they want Locke to be they. The island, whatever the island is, wants Locke to replace Ben? I think so. I think the whole reason Locke 
uh, now I'm starting to talk like Locke, but like in Locke's mind. <laughs> oh God, the please whole, don't. The whole reason that he's there Help me. is to have this connection to the island. And so if we were to accept the terms of this narrative on the grounds that Locke has laid them out to us, I think that Ben is an evil person who uses the island for his own gain, for his own power, right, over the over the others, for his own twisted mind games. And that is against what the island is. Because Locke, remember, called him out on that. He said, like, you're cheating, right? Yeah. And yeah. I don't think, if again, if we're to accept this is true, I don't think that, the, I think that's against the rules, what I Ben see. is doing. So I do think that Jacob is a way in which Ben maintains his power and he's created all this like mysticism and ideology around him. But I also think that the island is specifically reaching out to Locke to save right. it from Ben and the others. You know, I'll say this. it It's a real shame that the era of the puzzle box show has passed because as I've said before, many times, you know, I, I watched this on my own the first time. It would have been a much more rewarding experience to watch it with 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 you. So anyway. Gross. I know. So anyway. Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, just shut up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to get us out of this this lock Ben loop, we have Mikhail, who is definitely not dead, come running oh, in God. and go, guys, 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 guys. And so this is what really pushes Ben over the edge. Let's let's kidnap or kill him and you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? What you want to talk about that at all or you wanna Yeah, he goes full bond villain. Oh yeah. And it happens so fast. Like, so I have real thoughts about the end of this season and right. you... how Ben is basically training the Losties to treat him and it really backfires on him right. in the last couple of episodes. Do you wanna save that for next time? I, I do. Okay. I do. But it just happens so fast. He just like takes like he he lets his rage really take over. Right. His rage at Locke, his rage at the Losties and the way they keep messing up his plans. So and I want to say something specific yeah. about that. This last thing I want to say about Ben this week is they have everything but a slap fight about who Jacob likes more. Yeah. And that is how John finds himself in the mass open grave of the Dharma Initiative impaled. Yeah. Which is where we leave him. Yeah. That's how mad Ben got. Yeah, Ben very much. See, and that's why I think it's so interesting to watch these two characters together. They both see themselves as special, right? Locke is convinced that he's special. Ben has convinced himself that he's special because he has this friendship with Jacob, right? And he uses that to make himself special and make himself basically this cult leader over the others. When two people think they're special in this way, things are not going to go well between them, right? Because this is the kind of egotism that doesn't share. And I think that's fascinating. I think it's so interesting to see the two of them. I'm going to be really curious to see how this power struggle continues, if it continues between the two of them. Because, yeah, it is really the struggle of who's the hero of the story anyway. Right. And it's really funny that you bring up egotism because, I mean, we'll talk about Jack next week. But, oh, God. Well, and, but I think it's actually a really good point to make that 
all of these characters, or almost all of them, are struggling with main character syndrome, egotism in one form or another. In particular, let's talk about the third flashback. Charlie. Rock stars are known for their humility, right? They're yeah, just yeah, known famously. for it. So let's just quickly, let's go through the greatest hits. Oh, that no- list. Number five. The first time I heard myself on the radio. I mean, I thought that was cute. Like, I mean, I'm sure every artist has had this moment, right? right? Where they first We've seen it the- in that thing you do. Yeah. Where you just, you, I mean, I don't know how much radio is really a marker of success anymore for an artist. But it was then. But it was then. And I'm sure there's an equivalent now if it's not this anymore. But like, yeah, hearing your song that you worked so hard on and they're struggling in the rain, right? They're doing that stereotypical band trying to get to a a show, but they've broken down, you know, and he almost quits the band. Like, yeah. I, I think that that's just such a, this could be out of like a music biopic, right? Like, right. it's just I, so would well. Would you watch, would you watch oh, Drive yeah. Shaft? I would watch the Drive is, Shaft story. Is this our third show that should exist? Yeah. A third lost spinoff show that should exist? The Drive the Shaft? The Drive Shaft biopic. story. <laughs> um, so, okay. Number four, dad teaching me to swim at Butlins. I was so worried that his dad was like, was a dick, was a dick. <laughs> because like, I, I, cause like, I love that his brother's like, he's going to, he's going to drop you. He's going to drop you. And he's like, you're going to drop me. And his dad's like, no. And his dad does not drop him. So that was nice. People that you think I've said this before and I'll say it again. One of my favorite tropes is when you think someone is going to be a jerk and then they act with unexpected kindness. Stop calling me a trope. Anyway. And it's a nice piece of foreshadowing too, oh, yeah, right? Because, yeah. but we're gonna come back to all that. Number three, the Christmas Liam gave me the ring. That was really nice. The precious, if you will. <laughs> that was really nice too. I really liked in this episode because I I didn't understand the conceit. Well, I didn't understand the conceit of this episode right away in terms of the flashbacks. Yeah, and so when I got to this scene, I thought, oh, like this is gonna be like more drama between him and his brother. And like all of these are legitimately really nice memories. Like this, this all makes sense that it would be on a greatest hits of memories list. So this was really nice. And it was really nice to see that he still had these great memories of his brother who, as we know, is at least somewhat responsible. And unlike dad is an actual dick. dick. He is somewhat responsible for Charlie's drug addiction and, you know, basically sold him out. Right. And has done some pretty terrible things. But, you know, this just underlines the idea that, like, family is really complicated and you can have multiple feelings about them. Yeah. And so this memory is really nice. It's like a good memory of his brother. So number two, a moment we have seen before or at least part of. The, the moment that's attached to the Charlie busking playing Wonderwall, which we saw from Desmond's point of view. Yes. Or, a, or, I should say, a version of this event. So number two is the woman outside Covent Gardens calls me a hero. I mean, there's a lot of foreshadowing in these, yeah. these memories, obviously, because the whole point was that the woman called him a hero. But the idea also was is that no one else stopped. Right? right, she said at least like three people went by and nobody could be bothered. Yeah, but he he did it. It was and the right thing to do. What I love about that scene too is you can see on his face when he realizes what's happening outside the alley, he doesn't want to intervene. Right, you can see this yeah. just like, oh, you know, like this idea of like, 
well, I guess I have to do it, right? And I, I like that that underscores Charlie as a as a hero, this idea that like, well, if no one else is going to, I have to. It's the right thing to do. And I think that says a lot about him. They've really, I disliked so much what they did with Charlie in season, season two, but this episode like really brought him back up in my estimation. So that brings us to number one, the night I met you. Charlie, he's such a romantic. And we get that flash. We get the flashback yeah. to their first interaction in the re- in the burning wreckage of the plane. <laughs> We've come a long way since then, he haven't we? Over his, the last three months, he gives her his extra blanket. Yeah, they love each other. Okay, we're gonna come back to it. So I'm gonna take you away, and we'll come back to it. So the as you mentioned, the conceit of the episode is about greatest hits because Naomi tells Charlie that they released a greatest hits album for drive shaft, which it's like one of those greatest hits when you've only made two albums. So it's kind of funny, but of course they, you know, they did this greatest hits because Charlie is dead. They're all dead in the least surprising move. Like of all the things that you cannot count on, even in a universe like Lost's universe where things are strange and you never know what's going to happen and everything's connected, you can at least count on music executives being greedy. There's a um, there's a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers concept record called The Last DJ. Um, and I'm trying to remember if the song is actually just called Joe. Um, but he's the CEO of the record company, so Tom Petty's singing from his point of view. And in the very last verse, he says, we could move catalog if he'd only die quicker. Yeah, pretty much. Although I just had a really brilliant idea. What if, and hear me out, this greatest hits that he makes, which is memories and not songs, right? What if it was an album? What if you had a greatest hits album that was only five songs, but they were each (laughs) like a memory? It's it's just an EP. I think that Um, would be awesome. Yeah. So according to Naomi... So we're going to talk about this now. Flight Flight 815 crashed and was found in a trench off the coast of Bali. Naomi was hired by Penny because, remember, Desmond is part of them, but he is not there for the same reason. He was not on the plane. Right. Penny is not looking for Flight 815. She is looking for Desmond. To get to where we need to be by the end of the season, to to resolve some conflict, create new conflict, we have some moving parts. We have the satellite phone that Naomi brought with her. We have the radio tower. We have the Dharma station, the looking glass, because of course it's called the looking glass. We have a plan. The plan consists of three parts. Part one, Saeed along with Bernard and Jin sabotage the tents when the others show up. Everyone else will go to the radio tower, except for Desmond and Charlie, who will go to the looking glass. We're going to talk next week about this plan, which is going to go perfectly and nothing bad will happen. All of this happens exactly as you right. described it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wanted, I'm glad we watched the finale before we recorded this episode. I think in general, it's really nice to talk to you about things. And it's occasionally very fun to hear you say something that is immediately going to go sideways <laughs> in the next episode. I'm glad I can provide you amusement. Right. Charlie dies. And we know this. So 
I mean, I don't think that's a surprise. Well, I mean, they keep telling you he's going to die. But, but, you know, Lost has a really good track record when it comes to them telling people that they're dead or not. So, you know, them, but also. Right. I mean, because they tell us, I mean, Desmond actually tells him at the beginning of the episode, you have to die this time in order for people to be rescued. You have to die. And it has to be in this way, which is the whole impetus for the greatest hits list. So this is the last question for today, because we'll talk about the finale next time. Knowing what does happen in the finale, how do you feel about that? About this whole frame setup of Desmond getting the flashes, him telling Charlie in these episodes that you are going to die. You have to die this way. When talking about the frame and the way that they've built, especially this episode, the greatest hits episode, to prepare us for this, it's brilliant. It's so good the way that they're writing off this character because they're giving him his due. They're reminding us what we loved about him. They're developing this character. He's allowed some introspection, right, before he before he goes off to be a hero, even though he doesn't want to be a hero. We get some closure on his relationship with Claire because he's really doing it for her, right, but they're together. You know, it, this all works for me. It makes me really mad that None of the other characters who have died suddenly got this. They know how to write a death, clearly. This is like a very good way of saying saying farewell to this character. But Mr. Echo didn't get this. Ana Lucia didn't get it. Libby didn't get it. If you quit the show, you don't get a good death. And, you know, only people who have been around for a full three seasons or more get good deaths. That is a lost rule. It is a mumble fact. Right. And like you said, I mean, we're talking about it here because I've seen the finale and it's really actually hard to talk about this particular episode without talking about his death. But they actually did do a pretty good job during this episode. Like, you know, he's going to die, but there's like that little bit of hope that maybe he won't die. You know, like maybe they'll figure a way out of it. Maybe Desmond will take the fall, although that would be sad because a penny. So, you know, it. They managed to create this tension while also just telling you he's going to die, right? And I think that that is some pretty brilliant writing on their part. And yeah, I mean, very emotionally impactful. And it it just made me mad about all the other times that they could have like actually written good deaths for other characters on this show. All right, that's it for today. Join us next week as we go through the looking glass and end season three. You can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris nine, and you can find Tessa at Suela Tessa. Until next time, I'm sorry, brother, but this time you have to die.